Hello and welcome to the first ever Twist My Arm PodCon. I want to thank everyone for coming and hanging out. Um, anyone that's listening to the PodCon podcast, um, thank you for checking it out. Um, we floated around the idea of doing a convention a few months back. Um, and here we are doing it now. Um, we wanted to all get together in our network, in the Twist My Arm network. We all wanted to get together and help other indie podcasters that may be struggling with certain aspects of podcasting and just kind of give a little bit of our experiences, um, a little bit of our advice um, on, on how we handle certain situations or how we do certain things um, just to, you know, maybe put a little bit of perspective out there and, and, and help a little bit if we can. Um, you can find anything Twist My Arm, www.twistmyarmpodcast.com. We got a bunch of shows to check out there, but we're going to save every plug for later on in our Q&A event late in it's the last segment of the, of the con. So this is the first segment, um, first of the day, first of four. We're starting. It's called Edit Out the Pain. Um, we're going to be talking all about editing and softwares and microphones and all sorts of things that that might help you um, get your podcast sounding really good. Um, joining me for that, good friend of the network, his name is Sean. He is from the podcast Cheap Seat Reviews. Um, a lot of fun over there. I was on one of those shows. Ah, what, what did we talk about? We did uh, one of the, uh, we did uh, the, the third of the new Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. The Star or not the new Star Duh. Wars, the prequels, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it was, of course. Um, yeah, definitely check out Cheap Seat Reviews if you ever get a chance. Um, but Sean here is, he's a bit of an engineer as far as I know. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience as a engineer slash podcast editor? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for uh, hosting this event. Thanks for um, thinking of me and having me on. This is very cool. I was, I've nearly never done anything like this, so I'm very excited. Um, yeah. I graduated from college with a degree in recording engineering. Uh, back when you had to go to school to learn how to record and do engineering, now you just learned on YouTube. Um, but I have a four-year degree in it. And um, from, from there... I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, and made TV shows and movies. So I was the audio uh, editor. Uh, I did all the post work for a dozen or so commercials and some radio commercials, TV commercials, uh, and a couple of TV shows, or the pilot of a show. And then once that pilot got picked up, I was the sound mixer on location. I didn't do any post work there. Um, but I've been doing audio as a career for 15 plus 20 years now. Yeah, 20 years now. I've been doing the podcast for seven years. And, nice. And it's been a lot of fun. And I also don't know if you can hear it out. There is a thunderstorm happening right now. So um, I don't know if, you, if the microphone's picking it up or not. But we'll just, uh, we'll not just yet. keep on trucking and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully hopefully the internet st stays up over there. <laughs> we, we haven't ever had issues so far. We haven't had issues yet of power outages or whatever. So shouldn't be a problem, but perfect yeah, we should be fine well, yeah it sounds it sounds like you have a lot of really good experience a lot of good knowledge to share um i you know i i'm a self-taught person i'm a youtube graduate for sure um my my dad really helped me with a lot of my uh sound engineering stuff he 
he went to school for all that. And I kind of just rode his coattails a little bit. So what I have learned, I've taught myself and, um, I'm sure a lot of things that I have are way different than things that, you know, maybe you would do like procedures wise. So it'll be, be a lot of fun to kind of, to kind of go through all that stuff. Um, one thing about today, since it is PodCon, it is a special event. It is an all afternoon event. This first segment is about editing. Next segment at two o'clock is with Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable talking about building a fan base. And the final, the third segment is Aaron and Pixie and I talking about being a better host and interviewing. And then the last segment's a Q&A for everyone to come and hang out. Um, each one of these rooms is going to be different. So once we're done here, you're going to want to head back over to our YouTube page and go on to the next live video that's starting. That's that's how we're going to kind of kind of do this. Um, and also for those of you that are in our live chat right now, if you put a comment in there, we have a a fun little PodCon gift box to give away at the end of the show. So leave us a comment in the in in the chat here, um, and you'll automatically be entered in to win the gift box. There's a t-shirt, there's some stickers, there's a, a really cool pin. Um, there's all, a bunch of good stuff. So without further ado, let's get into this whole editing thing. First things first, Sean, why do we care so much about editing? Well, uh, that's a very um, uh, uh, loaded question uh, and <laughs> one that could take uh, a long time. Simply put, we like editing because I think personally, people uh, who are consumers, right? All of our listeners are consumers. They are accustomed to a certain level of quality when they consume what they're wanting to consume, right? TV shows, uh, if people still listen to terrestrial radio, I don't know. I do. I know, but I'm old. Um, but even, you know, even XM radio and, and things like that, um, you know, there's there's a certain level of, of quality that's expected. And so as indie podcasters, we have to um, we have to match that as best as we can with the equipment that we have. And um, a lot of times you just have to do it with editing and. I know there's that old joke about we'll fix it in post. Well, it's there's a real a reason. thing. It's a real thing. And there have been, you know, many, many occasions where um, I've said the wrong thing or we just needed to cut a section out. And so that's why the editing, the editing portion of the show or the process of the podcast is so important is that you want to remove the stuff that you don't need. And sometimes, you know, you can go on a fun tangent and tangents can be fun in the moment and maybe with a live audience, but maybe the podcast that you, that you if you if you do both, you know, live and, and recorded, maybe they don't need to hear about that time that you and your friend did the thing where only you and your friends know about, you know, inside joke. Right, so, right. Um, that's, yeah, it's, that's, it's a lot yeah. of, it's a lot of just cleanup, I feel like, in the editing process. You're, you're cleaning out that dead air. You're just kind of making the microphones or, or your vocals sound a little bit crisper, you know, so it, so it's not so shrieky on the ears. Um, there's the, like you were saying, when you go on tangents, the segment jumping aspect of it. Um, there's a lot of times that I've edited a show where we've talked about a segment, gone off on something completely different for 30 minutes and gone back to that original segment. And you, you know, you cut that and put it together. So it's just one big segment and you don't have to worry about, you know, the, the jumping around and people getting confused and stuff like that. I know there's a few shows that I've listened to where I'm like, wait, 
when were they talking to what happened here what I, and then you gotta go back and whatnot so editing for me is more just for personally I, I like to make sure everything sounds good I'm, I'm a big uh soundophile is that is that the right word audiophile i think is probably audiophile. Uh, thank yeah. you thank you um and and that's that's mainly that's mainly it being a musician you know always wanting to have the best sounding stuff um that's that's kind of where i'm at so in in this editing process we use what's called a digital audio workstation daw for short um and you know a lot of times you can get these things for free um, a lot of times you can pay for them um, but there's so many different options um, i like to try all of them and just find what works best for me um, i know that i i use studio one i've used audacity before um, i've used uh, pro tools that's a little too professional for me um, it's, it's it was hard for for my non-educated mind to grasp <laughs> so um, I so I stuck with the Studio One, but I know you use a couple a, a different workstation. What, what are you using over there, Sean? So I currently use GarageBand mainly because the Mac that I was given um, through work, um, and it's on there. It's free, so right. I, I use I use it. I've used Studio One. I think Studio One is a fine tool. The, at this point, here's the thing: when I was learning how to to do this stuff, there was basically uh, two, really two uh, editing softwares. There was either Pro Tools or, no oh, crap, I can't remember. Uh, Final Cut had a version. No, it wasn't Final Cut. Gosh dang it, I can't remember. That was twenty years yeah. ago. <laughs> it wasn't. A, it was an right. audition. There was another. Anyway, basically, there was either Pro Tools or whatever, whatever the other one was. I can't remember. Somebody that's old enough will remember the other one. And so I learned Pro Tools uh, in college and learned how to edit and um, and then did it again when I was down in Wilmington. And it's, it's a tricky software and Pro Tools is, is, is still the industry standard for recording musicians, right? When you, you know, like Foo Fighters, when they, they released that album where they recorded it in their garage. Uh, no, just, I don't, I don't, Vegas something that doesn't sound familiar. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the, you know, they were using pro tools, right? Cause it's, you know, it's such an industry standard, but it's, it's so expensive. I mean, indie podcasters, it's just, it's not an option. So, uh, I would, I would suggest, you know, definitely learning, you know, audacity is fine. I don't love it. It's fine. If you can get your hands on Studio One or GarageBand or Audition. What's, what's, your, what's your biggest issue with, I mean, Audacity is the freest of free, and I feel like a lot of people use that. What, what's your biggest issue with Audacity? Um, I know Audacity. I'm not trying to knock anything at all. I'm just, no, I'm no, just no, saying no. Like, as far as. <laughs> no, and again, uh, you know, to anyone listening, if, if Audacity is your is your your comfort zone then use it you know use, use what, it absolutely use what you like i like GarageBand's interface a little bit better it's a little bit um more user friendly in my opinion it's got a couple other simple features that i like for example simply when you record arm your track you can see your meters in audacity you have to just record and then adjust mm -hmm. and then either delete it or, or whatever it's little things like that GarageBand's got, I think, probably a better um, uh, library of 
of effects uh, and uh, and plugins that you can use. Um, again, I haven't used Audacity in a couple of years because I haven't needed to. So I, I stick with GarageBand because, like I said, it's available to me. Yeah, so. and it's and it's what you're most comfortable with too. I mean, I, I use Studio One because it's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, I I really like the effects and the EQs that they allow you to use in Studio One and the simplicity of it for me. Um, and it it might just be me. Maybe I'm just weird because I know that Jesse has has been like, this isn't simple. And and I know Ricky and Bestflix has has a problem with Studio One too. It is, I guess, it's a little bit more challenging than say an Audacity or a GarageBand. But I feel like once you really get to learn it and and the ins and outs of it and get everything running correctly, it, it can be a really good a good tool. Um, there is a free version of that as well. If anyone ever wants to check that out, go to presonus.com and look for the Studio One artist version. Um, Again, it's it's what you're comfortable with, though, and and what you make your podcasts sound the best with. Um, so, again, whatever, whatever you guys feel like, you know, if, if you ever have any questions, you can always DM us on things too. Um, I I have a little bit less of a professional background on things. I don't know how Sean feels about getting DM'd about things like that, but you can always. DM me, um, and I can I can help you out with with anything that I can. Um, but moving on from that, so first you got your your workstation, you got your your tool to record everything, um, and then then you're gonna set up. What's next? What do you what are you gonna what do you say you need next to to make sure your podcast is running sounding good? Okay, so I've had several discussions with people on Twitter about the. Um, the the quality of uh, the quality of sound versus the quality of content. You're right, content over over quality of sound, I guess. And I have always been a big proponent of if what you have to say is interesting enough, people will listen, and I believe that. However, I'm also a big proponent of you should do the things that you can within your budget to make your show sound as good as possible. Because I will fully admit this. There are podcasts that I couldn't make it past the first 10 minutes of because it sounded so bad, I couldn't do it. Now, I'm also kind of a snob when it comes to that thing. I was just going to say I'm the same way, but we're kind of different. Like Our ears are a little bit more sensitive than most people, I feel like. Yeah, and and that's fine. That's okay. But just know that if you have the ability to do you know, the little bit extra, then you might get me as a listener or, or you, Josh. So... <laughs> If you get your 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 DAW, your 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 audio, your software, your mixing uh, platform, I think that the most the next most important thing, if not the most important thing, is of course the microphone. I, th I think you got to have a good mic. Now, if you're watching me on on the YouTube or or whatever on Facebook, I didn't mean to sound old by saying the YouTube, but <laughs> if you're not just listening to this as a podcast, you'll notice that I have uh, I have an EVRE um, twenty microphone. Not everyone can afford this. It I sounds beautiful, though. It does sound great, and I was gifted this microphone. Uh, this was a this was a gift. Not going to get into the story, but I didn't I didn't have to fork over two hundred and thirty dollars for this microphone. So not everyone is that fortunate, and it sure. does help that I work in the industry that I work in, working in AV and stuff. I I'm afforded these kind of things, um, but 
But this is a wonderful microphone. And one of the other really big advantages to this microphone specifically is this microphone, I don't need a P filter. I don't have to have a pop filter in front of it because it's built into the design of the of the thing. There you go, his little fly swatter there he's got there. Yeah, just like that. So pop so, filters, you put them, put them right in front of your mic. So you get you get get rid of that sound. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I use, I use covers for that. I use these little cover guys here. Yeah. Um, Any, but... Anything will work. If you're not recording video, then use a sock. It doesn't matter. The, the purpose of it is to prevent air from physically hitting the diaphragm of the microphone. That's what you're trying yeah. to avoid. And, and that's so, I mean, it seems like such a small thing, but it's so important when you're recording because just hearing that, I mean, think about it. If you go out to any kind of live event, and you and you hear that through the speakers, you're you're. It's so annoying, especially if not like a concert, but like if you're having to go to like if work is making you go to a, a corporate thing or whatever, and you're you're hearing the wind across the microphone and all that stuff. It's so annoying, and it's the same yeah. thing with the podcast. You want you want your 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 microphone and the experience to be as as clean and as well, quiet that, as possible. That can be jarring too, you know. If if you're listening to a show and you're really into it, and all of a sudden you hear this big pop and it's like a bang in your eardrums it's like oh god what what was that um and there's so many so many ways of getting rid of those pops even in the editing process as well if if you get those um i know i i use a simple little cut and volume lower method you know i'll cut the track where the pop is and then just lower that volume on there so there's still a bit you can tell what i'm saying or the the guest or whatever but um it's not as ear piercing of a, of a pop you know what i mean sure. um that I, I feel like that's a really good point as far as editing goes a, a lot of people you know when you're in that process you're just trying to get it done and you're just trying to make sure that the show is a certain amount a certain length um and that the, that the levels are good and that you can hear it you know it's those little things like the, the the jarring pops and the weird whistles and you know sometimes sometimes you get a buzz i know sometimes i get it when i touch my microphone but you get a buzz and there are ways to get to get rid of those via EQs and um, just volume control in general. And good good microphones really do help with that. Um, Sean is saying uh, he's got the you know the really expensive mic over there. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. I got a eighty dollar AKG mic um, from Guitar Center here that sounds just just fine. Yeah, it picks me up great. Um, it's clear. And when I'm in that editing process, I can make just a couple little tweaks to smooth it out a little bit. Um, but moving moving on from well, there, we... be, before we leave that this for just a moment, because I, oh, yeah. I did no, I, no, I no, set no, this up, so I just want to to do this real quick, just for comparison's sake. So, so is is again as you're looking to to maybe if you're if you're watching this thinking, you know, how do we start? You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of money. Um, I have, uh, I, one of my co-hosts uses, so, okay, sorry, let me, let me rephrase it this way. I know I get this question a lot. I have actually been asked this question several times, USB microphone over, um, XLR microphone. This is an XLR microphone. Cause I, you can probably see in the shot, I have a, an actual, actual mixer here. Um, mm. and I, I'm being attacked by a, an insect. This is great. Um, <laughs> And so I have an actual mixer because that's, again, that's what I'm used to. I'm used to doing audio. So I think that there's benefits to both. And I don't think there's any kind of uh, signal loss when it comes to 
USB. One of my co-hosts on the show has a USB microphone, and he sounds great. Um, preference. It's a, it's about that preference. It's about I preference. Feel like, I feel like there's a little bit of a placebo effect too. I know that, like my dad, for instance, won't ever use a USB mic because he is convinced that there's some sort of shortage that, that happens in a signal. Yeah. Um, and and he's much more comfortable plugging in an XLR cable to a to a board or a, an interface or something like that. So. Again, I think it's it's about preference. We have the same in our Marvel Can of Madness podcast. Our our buddy uses a USB mic, and it sounds sure. great. And but there's something else to be you know not to belittle your dad's idea because I'm kind of the no, same. No, 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 you're no, no, you're, but like you're totally fine. <laughs> but you're literally taking the XLR into a mixer, and then that mixer is going out into a is sending USB it in, in a USB. I have so, said the thing is, you know, he's he's in an older generation of, of sound engineering that I couldn't ever even dream of being a part of. And we talk about our sensitive ears. That man, I, I don't even know. Something's wrong with his ears. <laughs> but I again, it's it's preference. And like I said, it's some of that stuff can be a bit of a placebo effect. <laughs> so now I'm talking on a Shure SM57. Now there's a difference and there's a difference, but yes, there is. personally, I don't think it's bad. Um, my EQ is exactly the same. So please don't think that I'm trying to EQ whatever. But my point is that this is an $80 ish microphone that you can get at on eBay for, you know, whatever. And they're brand new. They're like 90 bucks, but you can mm -hmm. get one for 75, 80 bucks. And if this is a great microphone to use, especially if you're going to go the route of a mixer and an audio interface like I have, um, you know, I know that's extra gear, but I like the, this, the way of doing it, this because of the, uh, I have, I use sound effects in my show and other things. So I route everything through the board and then into my recording. So this is a way that I have to kind of track everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like the the SM57s pick up a little bit more of a room dynamic, whereas the other ones that we have that are a little more condensed, they pick up uh, they they pick up more just the vocal that's right in front of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Jesse asked the question: Is my webcam mic good enough? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, personally, I, no. I, I personally don't think so either. But if that's all you got, that's all you got. And there are ways that you can, you know, if you if you're using Zoom or um, like we use StreamYard here, you can actually just pull the audio track from that, and you can doll it up as much as you want. I've used the webcam microphone before on accident, uh, albeit, but I've used it, and although I had to do a, a ton of work on the post end to make it sound decent, it is still, if it's all you got, it's all you got. Yeah, I mean, okay, I again, you know, maybe I'm going to come across as an asshole, but I, <laughs> I, I personally would would not do that. I would not use it again. If you're, I guess it depends on the show. Let me put it this way. Let me add some context. If you're doing a video show, and part of the 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 kitsch of your show is that you're doing different stuff and you're, you know, you're baking a thing or you're doing the whatever, and there's a lot of it's acceptable to have room noise and stuff like that, then maybe that's okay. Um, I would still personally maybe get a lavalier or something if you're doing something with your hand or, or whatever. But I just, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I'm using uh, my camera is a Logitech C930, which is a really good Logitech camera. I just muted myself. Sorry. And I think that the, the the camera, the microphone on it is fine, but I just want you to hear the difference. Okay. So I'm now using the Logitech camera. <laughs> so you listening, tell me, is this okay? I mean, like, <laughs> again, I, I know I'm coming across as being kind of a, a, a snob with this, and I, I am. I'm going to go back. Well, that's, that's what we're here for, though. Like, that's, that's why, you know. That's why we're doing it because we are kind of snobs and we like to to show people the differences of things and and it and it is true like the the mic is very different from a webcam to an actual microphone um i do want to we're a little limited on time sure, this, sure. you know the convention we have certain amounts of time so i do kind of want to move on from the microphone aspect um i use you were saying you use a mixing board over there <laughs> i'm i use a focus right um four channel well it's it's an 8i8 uh, audio interface. Um, so I have eight different channels. Focus rights are probably the cheapest, best route to go as far as trying to get <clears throat> an easy setup. Um, Jesse has my old, no, sorry. Um, Jesse has the same one that I had. Um, it's a, it's a two I two mixer. It works just fine. It's got two mic inputs. You can use either quarter inch cables or XLR cables and it, you know, connects directly to your computer. Super easy. Um, and most uh, digital audio workstations will talk to your focus right almost immediately. Jesse's got the four i four, sorry, um, but but those will talk. They'll usually talk to your computer pretty quick. Sometimes you got to download different drivers. Always watch out for drivers. They are the bane of my existence a lot of times. Um, but those are big big things that I know people. You know they get this new interface, they get this new workstation, and they're like, nothing's happening. And a lot of times it's because you got to make sure to go buy that driver, jump into that driver and adjust your settings so your computer can actually talk to things. Mac is a lot better with those. Apple and Mac computers are, they, it, it talks a lot quicker. Um, a lot of times you don't have to have a driver on those kind of computers. Um, but with PCs, you absolutely got to get those, those kind of things. Um, so then let's, we'll move on into the actual like editing process. Um, a lot of people struggle with this aspect um, because it takes a lot of time. What what would be some of your um, pointers as far as like how you how you cut things down and and you know adjust your your volumes and stuff? Is there a certain settings that you can do with your program and like, or do you just kind of just wing it? <laughs> Well, no, I wouldn't say I wing it. Uh, definitely, um, I. So there's, there's a couple of things that I would always suggest that anyone does if they're going to have a podcast where they feel like they're going to have to edit a lot. Um, and that's take notes. And I know that seems counterintuitive when you're trying to interact with an audience, like I'm trying to interact with you now, and you don't want to have your head down as you're taking notes, but Taking notes while you're recording can help you later. For example, my show, um, we keep the show kind of PG-13. Sometimes, you know, it happens. Sometimes an F-bomb slips out and happens. So I take a note. I think <laughs> you're, you're fine. Believe me, I've had shows, episodes <laughs> where it was. Um, 
So I take the note of I I I mark the time time code, mm -hmm. so that I know when to go back and edit. So I don't have to listen to the whole show, just to edit out that one thing. And there's other notes that you can take while you're recording. I mean, GarageBand has this really great feature, of you can take notes. There's a notepad on the on the on actual there. recording screen. Um, yep. And I actually in Studio One, I have little flags so. Anytime mm -hmm. something happens in the show, I'll just go mark a little flag right there. It, yeah. I don't have to write anything down. It just marks it, and I can go back, and I'll know once I play it, uh, play it back. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that I, I need to edit that out or, or whatever it was. Um, but yes, taking notes is is huge for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> taking notes is good. Another thing I would highly, highly suggest, and this was actually again, this was fun for me, but, um. I'm a dingus when it comes to this kind of stuff is record yourself, right? So let's say you get your microphone, you got your mixer or not, or USB doesn't matter. And you're getting into the actual editing process. I would take a while, an hour and record um, your intro, your outro, whatever you're going to say regularly, right? The things that you're going to say and record it a bunch Every of times. So yep. yeah, and record it. And then, Try different effects. Try different EQ. Um, a lot of, uh, I know GarageBand. I know um, Audacity. I guess they probably have some. I know that um, Studio One has it. You can go in and create an EQ. Like, for example, I can go in to GarageBand, and I can go down and uh, under plug-in, add uh, channel EQ, compressor, all these things, right? And I can do like an EQ and it'll have one for vocal, vocal mm -hmm. male, vocal female, whatever. Just pick one and then, and then, you know, listen to it and then pick another one and listen to it and find something that works for you, for your voice because everyone's yeah. voice is different. And so do you want your voice to have more low end or you want it to have more of a high end or more of the bright? Those are the things that you can do before you record your first episode to, so that you can get that first episode sounding good, like really good. Because my first episode was terrible. And, <laughs> and it was because I everyone's I, first episode is pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Jesse makes a great point. Presets are the best starting point. There's lots of different presets, especially, I mean, for me, once I've created that preset, every week when I open up GarageBand to record, I open the last week's file, delete the audio, save as, and then, yeah, there we go. So, so basically on, on my thing here, you can actually see uh, my studio one is picking up my microphone right now. It's great. Um, this is an old Quest Me episode. Um, I saved it specifically for the PodCon. Um, as you can see, I have both my vocal tracks here. I have my track and Justin's track. It is labeled. I do have a separate file that has an intro um, that I have made with music and stuff behind it that I've saved that I put on the beginning of all of my shows. You know, um, a couple couple of them were different. Jesse's in a couple of them, uh, and you know, we'll we'll mix and match things. But what what you're talking about as far as effects, I have you know, this entire row of effects here um, on the side that I, that's all I did was I went and checked different things. You know, you got your vocal section and you can, I just click and drag and it'll actually bring up my little compressor box and my EQ and I can adjust all these different things. Um, and, and I just messed with it until I found the right thing that, that sounded the best. So, um, 
I, I do agree. It's just testing. It's it's a lot of just experimental yeah. things and just um, figuring out what what you want it to sound like. So um, another point, this I got a flag right here. That's one of the edits that I got to do. <laughs> so, you know, on that section, I would go to that flag and I just kind of cut it right where I need to cut it and do what I do what I got to do. So um, each digital audio workstation is going to be different. You just have to, again, fi find what's going to work best for you um, and easiest for you personally, and then um, compare it. I like to listen to episodes and things that I make in the car. I feel like um, sending out my track to my, to my phone or whatever, and then going out to my car and listening to it on the car speakers, I really feel like that gives me the best idea of what it's going to sound like. Now, that's, that's a lot for music. For podcasting, I do headphones because most people are going to listen to a podcast through their headphones. So what I like to do is, you know, export my my final track that I've done all my editing and stuff and then go re-listen listen to it and see what it sounds like with those EQs, with those effects and all those things. Um let's see, let's see. We got Yeah, and so another question I I've gotten a lot is do you actually have to master a track? Because there, there's a there's a difference between exporting and, and mastering tracks. Would would you say that for podcasting that you should master your tracks, or is it more just like making it bouncing them and making it sound okay? I think it's just it depends on when the software you have. Um, mastering uh, another word people use is normalizing, and mm -hmm. um, I think those are are good to do if you have the ability to do them. Um, Pro Tools does it very differently, at least it used to, than some of the other softwares. GarageBand just kind of does it as part of the export. There's not really a true normalization uh, or not a mastering um, for the track. So when I export, it, it does its own normalization within the export. Um, but I still have to do that a lot of it myself. Yeah, and I actually have a normalize audio button right through Studio One. That once I yep. click that, it it'll make all the audio sound even. Yeah, so that's the, the the point is is that it, it it compresses a little bit so that if your if your track is hotter than Jesse's track, then it'll either bring yours down a little bit and Jesse's Correct. up a little bit to kind of match them out um, a little. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I do think it's important if you can do it, you should do it. Uh, if you have the the software that can do that thing, and and another thing, I, before I before I even knew what that normalize audio button was, I would just compare my tracks um, and get them separate. So this, you know, if this one was low like that, I would just go find it and kind of raise it a little bit, and then take this one down a little bit to make it <clears throat> as even excuse me as even as possible with the vocals. Uh, with the tracks, but then I found this normalized audio thing and it just pff, makes it smooths it all out. So, <laughs> um, and you, you don't want to have, you know, someone louder than somebody else. Like you don't want to have someone screaming at you through the heads headphones and then someone else talking so soft that you can't understand what they're saying. So, um, one of those big things is just making sure all your, your volumes are the same. Um, and if you notice that your your tracks are smaller than the others, you probably want to adjust it to make sure that you're you know you're not overpowering your guest or your co-host or something like that. Um, 
What, what, what else you got for us here, Sean? Any, any other tips, tricks, pointers? Um, I'm, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a little low on my notes over here. Uh Oh, did I get lost? Did Sean get lost? Am I the only one here? Oh no, Sean got lost. I'm the only one here. That is okay. I can, I can fill some time. I think, um, I think does it, did anyone in the chat, did you guys have any other, uh, questions for, for us on the editing process? Um, I, like I said, I'm using the studio one. This is the studio one, uh, interface or sorry, not interface, the digital audio workstation. Um, very streamlined when I, when I start a new song, um, I, I actually have different settings for, for each, um, each different show. I have the MCM show that'll bring up tracks for each individual person, you know, quest me SBI, all these different shows here. So, so if I pick a TMA show, um, I can actually, I, I have everything preset here. So everything's good to go. Um, I don't have to worry about testing my, my vocal tracks. Everything is brought down to a level that I, that I like it at. Um, and all I have to do is, is start. So, um, Jesse asks any other tips for making it faster? Uh, you know, the, the best, the best thing that I have, um, is the note taking um once, once i started taking notes and i can't emphasize this enough like notes and setting reminders on different things to um to go edit something and, and to know where to go edit a lot of times before i used to listen to the entire episode for two hours and you know and edit as i'm listening to it over time you know i, I find out that i can just you know set a flag and and set make a note and then just immediately go edit what I need to edit because at this time, all if you start out, you know, with your settings all created and and set, then all you have to do is make those cuts and those little tiny volume adjustments. Um, handle multiple people during the podcast. Do you prefer multi tracks to edit, or would you rather just pull one sound file? That comes from the Intrepid DM. Um, man, I tell you, I. I'm okay either way, but the best way and the fastest way to do it is to have one solid track. One reason that we use StreamYard is because we can just pull one single audio file that has everyone's vocals on it, and we just have to do a couple little cuts. Um, nowadays, with the upgraded StreamYard, we can pull each individual track. So if we need to make different edits, <coughs> excuse me, if we need to make different edits on single tracks, um, we can we can do it that way just by pulling it. Um, I prefer the one track method, um, and just to, to anything else, honestly. And a lot of that has to do with teamwork as well. Whenever um, we're in a show, uh, especially SBI, I know we've we've gotten really good about if someone needs to talk, we don't talk over each other. We'll we'll raise one finger to to show that hey, we have something to say. And you know we let that other person f finish off what they're saying while we hold up hold up our finger, and then you know Jesse will say, "Okay, you know Josh, you had something else to say," and so that makes it a little easier as far as the after effect because you're not trying to edit out overlapping and you're not trying to edit someone talking over somebody else. Um, those little those little tiny um, in show keys that you can do 
really, really help with um, all of your editing in in the in the long run. So um, let's see. Any other questions? I don't have much else over here on that. Um, I guess just talk about PodCon a little bit more. We got up, up next, um, we're going to have Jesse talking about basically building up your podcast, the, the best way to to get as many followers as possible. Look, I don't want to toot horns or anything, but man, that Sudden But Inevitable show went from starting a Twitter in January to having over a thousand followers in six months. Um, that is is incredible. And, and no, it wasn't, you didn't buy any followers or anything. It was all by hard work, dedication, and and a lot of a lot of little things that, that Jesse will talk about. Um, and, you know, that that's one of the biggest issues is building a brand, right? Building a fan base. So it, it's, I, I trust a lot of what, what Jesse says on that stuff because he did, he did a great job. Welcome to the second segment of Hashtag TMA PodCon 21, Building a Loud, Loyal Audience. I am Captain Bootscoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. your host for this segment, Jesse, from the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch. Of course, that's the show where we take some of our best friends through some of our favorite TV shows, one or two episodes at a time, and we get them to love them. Now... With a show like that, and I mean, honestly, with any show, really, you got to have an audience, right? And that's kind of why we all make indie podcasts. I don't know. That's a big part of why I make an indie podcast is because I want people to listen to my friends and I experiencing something relatable and fun. So that's what I'm going to cover today in my topic, building a loud, loyal audience. Before I get there, though, I would like to point out that we here at the Twist My Arm Network have a loud, loyal audience, so much so that we have our own shop, and all of the money that goes into this show has come from our listeners and our pockets, obviously, but we don't have any sponsorships or anything like that. Any profit that the show has made, which I assure you is truly razor thin, but meaningful in uh, a sentimental way has been because our listeners care about us. They care about our success. They want to show their support for us in real life. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's so cool that you guys are doing this free podcast convention full of other indie podcasters and giving away all these free tips for everybody. And I agree, we're very happy to do that. We want to be part of the rising tide that lifts all ships, those ships being your indie podcast and ours. But as a fun little bonus... We are giving away a TMA PodCon gift box that my friend Josh, the head of the Twist My Arm Network, had talked about. Contained within that gift box is this very cool, very new TMA PodCon 21 t-shirt. If I could get a little bit of a blow up on that, click on that shirt chest. I think it, I think it zooms in if you click on it. 
Uh, either way, oh man, that is crispy. Look at that. That is gorgeous. For those of you that are listening to the podcast version of TMA PodCon 21, just go to twistmyarmpodcast.com, click on the shop tab, and then click on Twist My Arm Podcast. You will see this very, very cool TMA PodCon 21 t-shirt. On the back, it says Podstaff. So if you happen to be, I don't know, maybe one of the speakers today or one of our very cool indie podcaster friends that we've collaborated with over the past six or seven months, this is the kind of shirt that you can put on and feel good about because you know that it's supporting an indie podcast network of actual real-life friends. It's not going to some faceless corporation that just pumps these things out every hour where you sit down and then, boom, magically a podcast appears. There is also a variation on that shirt coming. For those of you that just want to support the network but maybe aren't podcasters, the back of that shirt will say pod fan. So keep your eyes open for that. We really, really appreciate all of our listeners and viewers, all of our friends, everybody in the indie podcasting world. We wouldn't be right here doing an indie podcast convention without you folks. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for supporting us as much as you have. We have been very warmly embraced by the community. Now, to speak to the topic at hand, building a loud, loyal audience. That's every podcaster's dream, right? Like I said before, maybe it's not every podcaster's dream, but that's an important part of figuring out why you're doing a podcast in the first place. If you're doing a podcast as a hobby and you want to have some fun with your friends and numbers and things like that aren't really important to you, that's great. I am not here to look down on that. I'm not here to tell you that's the wrong way to do a podcast. I am here to tell you that I don't know that my tips are going to help you with that because I wanted to create a podcast that people care about. People ask when the next episode is coming out. People are upset if they miss an episode. Uh, People want to be there for the recording of. People want to buy merchandise to support that show. Um, So that's the kind of show that I'm going for. So if that's not the show that you want to build, then these tips are probably not geared for you. And that's okay. Because like I said, you need to know when you start why you're doing this podcast. So for me... A big part of why we started Sudden But Inevitable is I'm a big podcast listener. I think a lot of podcasters are big podcast listeners. Um, And I just, I've heard so many podcasts that have this sense of um, familiarity between the hosts, right? Where you can tell they've really known, known each other for a long time. They're really enjoying the show that they're making and they're really having fun interacting with each other in whatever their format might be right so as i listened to a bunch of shows like that and remembered oh yeah i have a friend who has a podcast network i bet we can make a podcast together i thought i want to make a show that really captures that feeling of trying to get one of your best friends in the world to like your favorite things um in in an almost force it down their throat kind of way, but you know, that friendly force it down their throat kind of way, um, which is not super specific, right? Or rather it is super specific, but it's not a super clear idea. So I had to distill that into like one sentence that I could just tell people, hey, this is what the show is about. It's getting our friends to love the things that we love as much as we love them. So everybody knows what that's like right? Everybody has had that friend that they're like, if I could just get them to watch or read or listen to or participate in thing X, I know they would love it. And that's the relatable part of our show. 
the relatable part of our show isn't necessarily Firefly is my favorite TV show or Cowboy Bebop is my favorite TV show or Star Wars or Mandalorian or any of these things. Maybe those aren't your favorite things, but you know what it's like to try to get somebody to love your favorite thing. And that's why we go seasonal at Sudden But Inevitable so that we can jump show to show and, you know, get them to like different things. Uh, Keep your eyes out for season three. We're about halfway through season two and we are already in the planning stages. So, um, once you know that you want to make a show that people are going to care about, and once you know what the essence of your show is, you need to picture your listener, okay? Who's going to listen to this show? First of all, let me say, the number one listener for your show, the biggest fan for your show, should always be you. If you don't care enough about your show to be out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all these different platforms promoting it part of every day of every week, because that is what it takes to stay in the front of people's minds. It's not your show is not bad. It's just that there's so much to consume. If you don't want to put that kind of effort in, A, that's okay. But B, you're not going to you're not going to enjoy yourself. Like if part of the passion for you is the work and part of the dedication for you is the final product then it's going to be a lot easier for you to maintain your uh, inspiration your motivation in the times where your download numbers take a dip for no reason or you get a one-star review that has no actual review on it like you're just going to give me one star and walk away that hasn't happened to me personally but it has happened to people in the network and i know it's like the dumbest feeling. You're like, okay, thanks for the thumbs down, I guess. There's nothing I can work on here. There's nothing I can build from. It's just, it's, it's, it's very annoying. So you need to be your biggest fan. You need to be your most ardent supporter. And you need to be your hardest worker. You're going to have coworkers. You're going to have friends. You're going to have listeners. You're going to have collaborators. You're going to have all that stuff, right? None of those people are going to care about the success of your show the same amount that you will nor should they they have their own lives going on if you get supremely lucky and you have co-hosts that don't have their own shows or that aren't you know working a full-time job and have three kids and are dedicating this much of their time to you every week then see if you can get one of them to take over one of the socials and you only run two socials or something like that the point is you have to be the driving force behind everything in your show even if you have a crew One of you has to be the driving force. Here's the secret to that. If everybody on your crew feels that way and operates that way, you're going to have an excellent show. Because if they all think, I'm the person whose shoulders the success of this beautiful thing rides on, you're going to have high dedication, you're going to have high passion, you're going to have high turnout. And that's one of the coolest feelings in the world. I don't know about you, but... Going through my numbers on my podcast feed and seeing that we have an episode over 200 downloads, right? That just like, I get such a hit of endorphins when when that happens. And, And I know that it's a small thing, right? It's a small thing, but it shows that there are at least 200 people out there whose lives are different now because they listened to me and my friends talk for, let's be honest, probably two and a half hours. Um, so If you're going to spend that time in those people's lives, make that time worth it for those people. 
and they will make it worth it for you. Trust me. We have, to that point, people on Twitter, hey, I missed the episode week. I, I forgot that you guys are taking a week off. Where was an episode? I, I missed it. I went to download it. There was nothing there. I felt bad, and then I remembered. It's To have support from people that are not in your immediate circle is like the big goal, right? That's the holy grail. You want strangers and cool people listening to your podcast. So the key to all of this, in my opinion... And in the opinion of a friend of mine, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D on the Twist My Arm Network, which is a great podcast that you should listen to and a pretty funny account that you should go follow on Twitter at Best Flicks Ricky D. We feel that authenticity is the key to everything in indie podcasting, in communication, in basically everything in life, but especially in indie podcasting. Listeners, Twitter followers, uh, viewers, if you do a live show, um, those people can spot a fake a mile away, and they can hear one even easier because they don't have your face to deceive them, right? So you have to, you cannot talk about caring about your listeners, okay? You have to care about your listeners. Message them, talk to them, ask them what they like, ask them what they don't like, ask them how their day was, they're real people, you're a real person, just remember that every single connection that you make whether it's a podcast account whether it's a new follower whether it's a new listener those are real people take your time to connect with them on a meaningful authentic level now i hear what you're saying that's easy to say how do i do that i'm gonna tell you how to do that because i i did it that's that's i feel like that's how i reached out that's how the sudden but inevitable community grew that's how we were able to get these loud loyal audience members so I know that you have seen a podcast recommendation thread on Twitter, or you have, you know, seen somebody suggest a podcast on Twitter, uh, and there are 50 notifications on that feed, right? Because everybody whose podcast got mentioned is clicking like and thank you and leaving a GIF. It's totally cool. I 100% get it. Like I said, you have to be the number one fan for your thing. But that person is not going to listen to 50 podcasts. They're probably not going to listen to three of those podcasts. They're probably never going to ask for indie podcast recommendations ever again in their life. It is a somewhat traumatizing experience for people. Um, to illustrate the point, I put podcast recommendations as a hashtag in the promotion tweet for this video. So let's see how that turns out. But I'm not saying that you shouldn't be out there hustling your show because you should. Okay. But there are more meaningful and genuine ways to do that. So when we started Sudden But Inevitable, here are some specific examples. We were covering the show Firefly. So instead of going out and finding podcast listeners, because that is a difficult group of people to find, they're already listening to all the shows they want to listen to, unless they're on Twitter asking for recommendations or they're using you know some sort of uh, discovery app. Um, we don't have any sponsorships, so I'm not going to mention any by name yet. Um, but the... <laughs> The key there is that I can't go find, I can't just type in, okay, give me the podcast listeners, right? But I can go find the Firefly fans. That's pretty easy. I do the search for the hashtag browncoats. I do a hashtag Firefly, all that stuff. Uh, hashtag the verse, hashtag aim to misbehave. Go look for your related hashtags in the topic that you are covering and find some people in there. Like their stuff, comment their stuff, retweet their stuff. If you're on Instagram, you know, uh, leave a comment, you know, do, do that, that meaningful interaction with people and don't just comment like, Hey, I like Firefly too. Comment about, Hey, you know, 
this makes me a little bit jealous because I have a thing that's similar but not as cool. You know, find some way to connect that isn't two words long and that you can slap out at every person. And to that point, don't reuse your comments. Like, try try to make your comments different every time. Just people see that, okay? When I get a new follower on Twitter as an indie podcaster, first of all, I love you. Second of all, do not DM me a link to your show right away. That's a great way to guarantee I'm never going to listen to your show. It's just not going to happen. When I was reaching out to people to build the Twitter from zero to now over 1,150 followers uh, since January, we're now in August, I would send links that were like, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for the follow. I'm sure you know that as an indie podcaster, it's hard to get your name out there. This little Firefly podcast really appreciates this this small little piece of support. That's all I would say. And the way that Firefly fans are, a lot of them would immediately message me back and say, hey, um, I'm, you know, I don't have a bunch of followers or this, that, or the other thing, but I'm definitely going to check your show out. Or, hey, anything Firefly is cool with me. And that was my, I didn't say, here's a link to my show. Please check us out. Please let me know what you think, which I fully understand the impulse to do. And there, there is an audience for that. And we'll get to that, but it is not podcast listeners like they they just want to listen to podcasts they really don't want to give a ton of feedback and things like that they will if it's if it's something that really needs to be mentioned which in in that case you're probably doing something wrong in the first place which again it's all a learning process it's totally cool but listeners are going to listen they're not necessarily going to talk when i say loud i mean these people are sharing your episode links these people are getting their friends and family to listen in real life um three of the people that show up in the live chat for sudden but inevitable basically every week Uh, one of them lives in germany one of them lives in scotland and they're a mother-daughter combo and her other daughter has listened at the same time as them before too so they get up at like 4 and 6 a.m in the morning to watch together our little show about firefly and cowboy bebop like if you had told me that was going to happen in january i would not have guessed that it would be true but it is true and i think it's because we have a genuine sense of family and friendship and they know that we weren't out to be like, hey, come listen to my show so I can get your money or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. They want that feeling of introducing loved ones to things that they already love and hoping that they love them as much as we do. So to that point, your listeners are, of course, going to be your livelihood, right? So you have to, have to, have to, have to be authentic. When you talk to listeners, when you talk to followers, when you talk to anyone revolving around your podcast you have to be authentic 100% of the time you cannot be trying to pull one over on people you cannot try be trying to get some sort of benefit out of people for no work everyone who has an indie podcast is working their butt off to make their show work at whatever level and format and frequency it works okay the easier that we can make this for each other the better the easier we can make it for our listeners to love our show the better easiest way to do that is be honest and authentic at all times. Which leads me into my second point, which is consistency. I know that consistency is a difficult thing. It's a very, very difficult thing to maintain. When I say consistency, I'm not talking about every episode has to sound exactly the same or you always have to do the same order of things on your show. You really do need to put your show out on the same day every week or every two weeks or every month, whatever it is. Whatever your release schedule is, you need to stick to that. There's, it's not because somebody will suddenly be like, oh, sorry, your show's canceled. You missed a release, right? As I said before, 
there is so much out there for people to consume. It, it, it's a it's an impossible number of things to even begin to comprehend, right? To stay in the forefront of people's attention span and the things that they have time to consume and want to spend time consuming, you need to be in front of them constantly. They need to see your name every week. They need to see your episode feed every week. They need to see your logo probably multiple times a day, which is why you should be on Twitter and Instagram pushing your name and face and sound as much as you can. I know you already are because you're an indie podcaster, so I don't have to tell you that, but I felt like I can't not mention it, right? If you're listening and not watching, I promise I'm smiling and I love you. Now, this consistency thing is difficult, right? We're indie podcasters. There's nobody paying us to make our shows. There is nobody going, look, man, you you didn't put in your six hours on the show this week, so unfortunately no paycheck and no listeners. That's what it's going to translate to. But it's going to translate that to that either way. So you may as well knock your show out of the park, get over... Let me let me let me rephrase that. Don't get over whatever's bothering you, okay? Just put it aside for right now. Knock your show out of the park. If you don't have a live video podcast, which I do and there are benefits and drawbacks to it. But if you don't have a live video live video podcast, push whatever you're feeling to the side. Knock your show out of the park. Get it recorded, get it released, and then apologize next week. Most of your listeners aren't even going to realize anything was wrong. We've had episodes where I did not feel great, and on camera you could tell that, but on the audio version, nobody knew. I sounded fine. So know your audience and know that they're forgiving. They like your show because it's a good show, and they like you, right? It's an indie podcast, so if they don't like the show... That's, that's part of what makes it so hard when you get a one-star review. It feels very personal. But if you have a personal brand as a podcaster, which is basically what you have, it's going to feel personal. I'm, I'm sorry, there's kind of no way around it. As a creator, you probably already know that, but I just feel like it should be said out loud. Now, you have to, have to, have to, have to be consistent with your release schedule because if the minute that you fall out of somebody else's, somebody's attention span or the forefront of their mind some other show is going to slide right in. You know that. You know how many indie podcasts there are out there and how hard it is to stand out. That's a big part of why consistency is so key with your release schedule. The other things that I had mentioned, those are also important with consistency, but your number one thing here is definitely your release schedule. As far as the way that your show sounds, um, you know, intro music, uh, maybe your intro read, your, your post-credit read, things like that, that stuff needs to be consistent too. But that's going to come with practice, and that's going to come with some of the tips that you got in the last segment, editing out the pain with Josh from Twist My Arm and Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews, where if you can minimize the length of that process, then it's going to make consistency easier. Your show will sound the same because you've got your your music in the same spot that it already is. You've got your levels set. Your EQs are good to go. You've got the mics plugged in. They're set. You don't have to get everything ready before every show. That is going to help your consistency big time. And if you don't have to worry about that stuff, it's going to be really, really easy for you to maintain authenticity in everything you do. Back to the first point that I was talking about. Now, if you can't, you know, just record a show every three days and then drop it two days later because you're some kind of, I don't know, human or something... Here's a little trick that every indie podcaster has probably heard of, but a lot of us, myself included, are not able to take 
advantage of because our show is either has a very quick turnaround from live to podcast or has a format that doesn't really allow for it that sort of a thing so our show goes live and that means i can't pre-record a show to put out if i'm going to be gone for a week if your show isn't live pre-record shows and put them out if you're going to be gone for a week it's the easiest thing in the world to do my friend Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews knew that he was going on vacation months ago, and he, he knew the dates that he would be gone, and he knew there was no way he would be able to record a podcast while on vacation with his family. Besides, even if there were a way that he could do that, why would he want to do that? He's on vacation with his family. So what did Sean do? Sean reached out to the wonderful indie podcasting community. He got a hold of me and he got a hold of Cameron from the Green Shirt, a newbie's trek through the next generation. He said, hey guys, I'm going to be gone this one week in August. What do I do? I've got this idea for a show. Let's pre-record it and then I'll release it the week that I'm gone. You guys can retweet it. It'll be great. And guess what? It was great. Go check it out. It's called Them's Fighting Nerds. Follow Sean on Twitter at CheapSeatCast. You can get a link there or you can f- go to their website, which is CheapSeatReviews.Libson.com. I believe that is accurate. Now, the advantage of that is that Sean's listeners didn't miss a week of Sean, and Sean didn't even have to think about the podcast while he was on vacation with his family. All he had to do was go set the episode to publish at a later date. Everything was set. He didn't have to worry about it. He didn't even have to be on Twitter. You can set so many things to talk to each other, to auto-tweet when you publish an episode, this, that, and the other thing. If you get your workflow fast and easy. And that means scheduling posts, planning posts, having posts ready before they need to go out, even if you have a live show. For example, I have all of our Instagram posts for the week ready to go probably uh, Monday, and then I post them until Friday. Then we have another show, and I do the same thing all over again. If you can get your workflow smooth, it's going to be so much easier for you to maintain consistency in episode release, the ways that your episode sounds, and how uh, how easy it is for you to get an episode out when you're not even around. It's just going to make everything easier. And that's going to support your consistency, which again is going to allow you to focus on your authenticity. That's generally the main point here. Now, as I had talked about before, finding genuine fans, those hashtags, those are going to be super, super helpful, right? But there are 10 million hashtags in the world. It, it is very difficult to find your hashtag or the hashtag that is going to closely align with what you're doing that you don't have to build the audience for. You want to find a hashtag that people are already tweeting about, but you're not looking for the, ta- the hashtag with 2 million posts, right? Because you're not going to stand out. You're looking for the hashtag with maybe 400 to 1,000 posts, you know, or maybe you're even more niche than that and you want to go for hashtags that are 50 to 300 posts, Go find those hashtags and pay attention to those hashtags. Use hashtag research tools that are free online. I don't remember what they're called, but we'll put them in the show notes. There's a lot of things that you can do with your hashtag research to zero in on a much more specific audience, which is actually another point that I should probably bring up now. You need to niche your show down. You have to, have to, have to, have to niche your show down. If you can't explain it in one sentence, there's a problem. I don't have anything against the anything and everything talk show topic uh, format shows. Uh, I don't also don't listen to any of those because I don't. Uh, that's to me that's called the news feed, right? Like I, I, there's maybe 
one or two of those that I will listen to on a semi-regular basis, and it's purely because I am supporting the people involved. It's not because I'm like, oh, I'd love to just go hear a random conversation. Now, I'm not telling you there's no audience for that. What I am telling you is I don't know how to target that audience, and I have no tips for that. So if, if that's what you're trying to do, um, actually, maybe you could just niche your episodes down, and that would help you really target your episodes one or two weeks at a time, however frequently you release. That way, you're you're hyper-focused on that topic for a week or two. Um, actually, our friends over at Digital Dissect One on Twitter, that's the Digital Dissection Podcast, they have a very cool format where they do deep dives on different nerdy topics, and I think that that's kind of similar to what they do. They'll go really, really deep on one topic for a week or three weeks, maybe, for example, say, firefly and it it really lets them focus on just that thing instead of having you know hey it's a talk show it lets it's no it's about nerd stuff and it's a deep dive on this topic or it's a deep dive on this topic so there are ways to do it i'm just not super familiar with them now beyond the hashtags which is a great name for a band that we should all start to find really genuine hardcore loyal supportive vocal fans of a thing um uh not a trick but a process that i have found that works really well is to go find creators of your thing maybe not podcasters right i mean definitely find the podcasters in your niche so that you can collaborate with them and make cool episodes where you have guests definitely do that but for actual listeners outside the podcasting you know uh, friend world Go find creators. Find people that are streaming games in your topic or people that are uh, drawing things in your topic or people that are sewing plushies of the things in your topic or uh, you know people that make enamel pins of the things in your topic. Those people really, really care about whatever the niche is that you have chosen. They, they are demonstrating that by creating things in that niche, right? So for example, we have a lot of listeners who are very, very, very passionate about Firefly. Uh, One or two of our listeners was actually in the Serenity movie, which is just mind-blowingly cool, and I can't even begin to talk about that. But a lot of our other listeners are Firefly artists. Uh, One of our most ardent supporters, who's there basically every week in the live chat, she does um, sketches in her sketchbook, she does digital artistry, she does uh, her sister does watercolor painting. Like, there's, there's, um, we've been put in touch with the Washasaurus store. I don't know if you've ever heard of that as a Firefly fan, but she makes all kinds of custom uh, Firefly merchandise and things like that. Those people fully understand the hustle, but those people also fully understand the passion, and they share it with you. And if you don't authentically have that passion. Had I just chosen Firefly because I knew people cared about it, that would not be enough. I have to care about Firefly. I have to want Josh, my Firefly first-timer, to care about Firefly. Because if I don't, why should the listeners care? They already care about Firefly. They don't need to hear somebody be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I think I remember that in that episode, you know, it's like, or me go, eh, it's okay if you don't like it, like, No, they want me to go, no, 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 consider this because you should be liking this, right? The authenticity 
is the key to everything. If you have passionate fans, it's going to help you maintain your authenticity. If you have consistency in your workflow and your release schedule, it's going to help you maintain authenticity. If you can niche down as far into as specific of a topic as you possibly can, that's going to help all three of those things because now you only have basically one thing to think about. So when we're doing a season of Sudden But Inevitable, all that I'm thinking about is the TV show that we are covering. All I'm thinking about is Firefly. I'm not exaggerating. So my Instagram feed, when we were covering Firefly, the ads that I would get would say things like, designing old-timey logos? Do you need a Western barbershop font? Get this cool hand-drawn paintbrush font. Like, how specifically ridiculous is that? But... It almost worked because I was like, oh, I do need some more old-timey Western fonts. I didn't even think about that. Now, of course, I didn't buy them because I'm an indie podcaster. I went to a free 100% public-use, open-source you know, website and downloaded free fonts, which you should totally do. So it, it, it's like I don't have to focus on, okay, what's the podcast topic this week or what kind of fans hashtags do I need to pay attention to or... What kind of Facebook fan groups should I post the show link in? I know all the answers. The answer to every of those questions is Firefly. That's the kind of aesthetic I need to use for my promotions. That's the kind of vocabulary I should use on Twitter. That's the kind of attitude I should have when I guest on other people's shows. Those are the kind of references I should make when I'm talking about sci-fi on other people's shows. Like, it, it writes itself, right? I know that my topic is Firefly. I have authentic, consistent, passionate love for that topic. I don't have to fake it. My niche is this big. I just have to explore it. It's this big. But you know what? It's wider than my arms will go on this webcam. It's, it's high def, but I'm not streaming in high def. Anyways, even if your topic is a tiny little niche, that does not mean that it is not super deep and wide and that you can't focus on it for as long as you need to. But it it does point to why you have to care about the topic of your show. If you don't care about the topic of your show, nobody else is going to. That's not their job. That's your job. And you can be really, really good at that job. But if you're not, you're not going to stand out. You have to put time and effort into this. And I know that you already know that. Like I said, you're an independent content creator of any kind. You know that it's true. So... These are some ways that you can do that. Consistency, authenticity, passion, all of that stuff. Now, as I had mentioned before, one of the hardest parts to accept um, when you're pouring your heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears and money and time into something like this is critical feedback. It's difficult to come by, right? Sometimes, though, when it shows up, it hurts because we're, we're using everything we are to make this thing, right? We have a personal brand. If we boil all this down to corporate talk, we have a personal brand, okay? And getting criticism on that is going to feel personal. There is no way around that. If you didn't care what other people thought about your passion you would not be making an indie podcast. And if you are, you're likely doing it for a hobby and not because you want it to be, you know, 
anything other than that, which again, I'm not talking down to, it's just not where my personal experience lies. Ask for and accept critical feedback, okay? Your friends, your your family, right? They're probably not going to listen to your show. I'm just going to throw that out there. Unless your show is, you know, how I get along with my family, then maybe they'll listen. But even then, they might not. If, if you're the one editing and recording, they might not listen, um, which is nothing against them. It's just it's, it's how it is. You know, you have to be the driving force. You have to take that responsibility. Ask those people, hey, listen to this five-minute thing. Let me know what you think. They're going to come back at you with, I had no idea what you're talking about, but it sounded choppy or had no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds great. I think it's fine. And then, you know, you know those people really, really well. So use that lens to examine their feedback. Okay, are they saying that because they're the kind of person that always wants to be nice? Or are they saying that, you know, for because they actually feel that way? And because they're your family, you can dig on them. You can be like, look, I know you're only doing that because you're trying to be nice. Stop it. Tell me what you actually feel. Those people are never going to be like, you know what? Never contact me about your podcast again, which a stranger might do and would be well within their rights to do. But... There are ways to do it. Ask your other indie podcasting friends, hey, I I just put it on an episode. If I could just get some feedback on it, be 100% honest with me. You're going to need to specify the level of honesty that you want, okay? Because, so for me, a lot of times uh, people will go, hey, check out my show. And I'll say, I'm getting this episode for lunch or I'm going to listen to this tomorrow. And then I probably don't interact with that person anymore. It's not because... I don't like them or they're a bad person. It's because I didn't enjoy your show and I don't want you to be like, Hey, how was it? Because then I'm in a position where I have to go. It was good. And I've, I've no other feedback for you. If you, if you DM me and go, Hey, uh, I know you listened to that episode. Um, any feedback that you have would be much appreciated and be as brutally honest as you need to, you know, don't, I know that you're not emotionally connected to my show because you're not part of my show. Just what do you think? Then I can say, okay, this isn't a personal attack. It will feel like it, but I don't like this, 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 and this. Happy to do that. DM me on Twitter at sudden, but please specify the level of honesty that you want and the level of critical thinking that you want. There are not a lot of ways to get that from your listeners outside of just saying, please tell us what you think. Now, some listeners will do that. Okay. You can put that call to action in your shows. Definitely do it. We do hear from our listeners, but at a certain point, your fans are just going to be that. They're going to be fans. And you go, hey, what did you guys think of the latest episode? Let us know if you have any thoughts or complaints. And they're going to go, I loved it. It was great. Love hanging out with you guys. Ton of fun. It's like, I, I love those so much and they fill my heart up and they jack my endorphin meter through the roof. It doesn't help me make a better show. And that doesn't mean that those comments have any less value, of course. It just means that, like, I, I'm not really able to use that other than to say, okay, well, I know that audience members, you know, A through X, like it how it is. And that's cool. But if you want to stay in the forefront of people's minds and their attention, you're going to need to be open to adaptability and you need to be open to critical feedback. And you need to ask for critical feedback. And... 
I, I can't really say here's the one source for that, but I can be a little bit of a source of that for you on Twitter at sudden, but, and like I said, ask your other indie podcast friends, ask your other creator friends. If you have friends in a band, ask them what they think. If you have friends who paint, ask them what they think. If you have friends that build stuff, ask them what they think. They're fully willing and understanding to give you creative, critical feedback. Now, here's the other thing. If you don't have a live show, this is, this is a consistency and quality thing. If you don't have a live show, and even if you do, it depends on your, your audience and what they like, the hard part of editing is deciding what to cut, right? This isn't really a strength of mine because I don't do a lot of editing on our show. We're basically very... Um, we have our dynamic pretty much down and our live audience is very into that dynamic and they don't want pieces cut out. And we also have a co-host on that podcast, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, who calls out edits that happen. So it's a bit of a running joke and also kind of just a fun little quirk of our show that we don't do much editing. But if your show is not live or if it is and you don't mind editing some of it out, cutting is going to be a hard part, Okay depending on what your goal is for your show, right? I want to make people laugh. I want to make people think. I want to make people cry. I want to make people feel something, whatever your, whatever your thing is. I want to make people blank. If it doesn't make you blank when you're listening to it, it's not going to make them blank when they're listening to it, right? Because as we have said before, you are the biggest fan of your show. So if you're not liking what you're hearing, why is your listener going to like what they're hearing? You need to put yourself in those shoes of the number one listener to your show. And if you're not laughing, thinking, crying, feeling, hating Josh's opinion on Star Wars, whatever it is, that was just a for instance, then why would your audience do that? Just ask yourself that question. You can use that to make a lot of meaningful cuts. If you go off on a tangent and in the moment you're like, that was hilarious. I loved that thing. And it was so perfect because everybody knew exactly what we're talking about. And then when you're listening to it, you realize if you're not one of us three people, that makes no sense. Cut it. Your audience doesn't want to feel excluded. They want to feel included. They want to feel like they're part of your circle of friends. That's a big, big part of why people listen to shows. Or they feel like you're the authority on whatever your topic is. They don't want to hear you going off on tangents on things you're not the authority on. Because now they got to go, oh, are they super into that too? Should I be super into that? Or are they going, is that person talking out of turn? And then wait, does that mean they're talking out of turn all the time? Like, it's a can of worms. Stick to your niche. Stay authentic. Stay consistent. Stay passionate. If you can cut the pieces out of your show that don't support consistent, authentic passion, you're going to have a great show. If you can get it to a point where, you know, a big, big portion of your show based on audience feedback is consistent, authentic passion, then you're not going to have to cut much. And that's going to make your editing process even easier. All you're going to have to do is check your levels and move along down the line. Now, I think that's most of what I have to cover today, except for the last little piece here, which is communication, okay? If, if you have people that work with you on your show, if you have a co-host, if you have panelists, if you have guests, this is 90% of shows already, right? When we as creatives are communicating quickly about a project that we have high passion for, Honesty and transparency 
are going to be key when talking to each other, okay? Everyone on our team needs to assume that when we communicate with them, there's no attitude coming from us. It's just information and honesty and passion, right? The only attitude they should be hearing is passion, not why didn't you do this thing? Why is this thing not done? Why didn't you try thing X? They need to hear, uh, you know, where are we in this list of things that we're all tackling together, not how did you screw up? Open, honest, transparent communication and high modulation of your attitude and understanding of that is going to be critical to the success of your team in almost anything in life, but definitely, specifically in indie podcast creation. Because if you don't, if the people on your show don't care, your listeners will hear that. You will hear that. You will feel it in your soul and you will know that your show is not as good as it can be. And it will hurt because as we've been talking about, you put everything that you have into this show. And if you don't, again, not looking down on you, maybe you're just doing it as a hobby. But if you're not doing it as a hobby, you know what I'm talking about. If you can't send a quick, concise, informative message to your team that they don't immediately wonder about the emotional motivations of, you're going to have problems. You need to be able to say, hey, thing X needs done 20 minutes. And the person on the other end of that needs to be able to understand, cool, this is how we all climb this ladder together. This is how we all make sure that the tide is lifting at the same rate for every ship. This is not me being put on the spot. This is not me being called out. None of that stuff. Yes, it's indie. Yes, a lot of the shows are solo. No. Nobody is doing this alone. Even though I am telling you, you have to be your number one fan. You have to be the biggest driver. You have to be your biggest supporter. That's all true. That doesn't mean that you're doing it alone. The indie podcast community on Twitter is wonderfully supportive. These loud, loyal fans that you're going to go out and create with your consistent, authentic passion, those people are wonderfully supportive. They will lift you up in the moments where you feel like you can't do it yourself. I promise you that. And that's part of the benefit of taking this approach to creating a podcast, really to creating any kind of independent content. But for an independent content creator that happens to be making a podcast, these are the things that have taken Sudden But Inevitable from zero to almost 2,000 downloads since January. It is now August 14th. We went from zero to 1,000 downloads within our first 100 days of existing. I'm, I'm talking existing at all. Having a name on the internet, having a Twitter account, having a Instagram account, any of that stuff. Zero to 1,000 in the first 100 days. I'm not sitting here telling you that if you take the approach that I took, that's what you're going to get. But I am sitting here telling you that taking that approach got us those results. And I'm not here to say, look at that, we got a thousand downloads in a hundred days, we're the best podcast. I'm here to tell you the feeling that comes from knowing that a thousand people in the span of a little over three months have spent time with you and the people that you care about on a topic that you care about enough to literally 
plan their day around it because our shows are two and a half hours long. That is the coolest feeling in the world. It is so touching and heartwarming and gratifying and mind-blowing. And if there's any way that we here at the Twist My Arm Podcast Network can share a little piece of that feeling that we are just drowning in, if I'm being honest, constantly, every day, every week, every time we put an episode out, every time we do a live episode... If we can share that experience with you, we would love to. That's kind of the point of hashtag TMA PodCon 21. So if you take anything away from me, I hope that you take away the key to everything here is authenticity. You have to be authentic. You have to care the most or people will know and you will know and that will hurt. You have to be consistent. Whatever your release schedule is, stick to it. I don't care if it's weekly. I don't care if it's bi-weekly. I don't care if it comes out every three months. I don't care if it comes out on the second Tuesday of every month that has an R in it. Do that. Stick to it. Expect consistency from yourself. Because guess what? Your listeners do. When a new thing comes out on TV, they don't have to guess which day it's coming out. They tell you 100 times, Tuesday, 9, 8 central, be there. So be consistent. Make absolutely certain that you have an attitude of honesty transparency and just sharing with your team you have to have to have to have that if you have those first two things that second part should be really really easy if if you can be open and honest and accountable for yourself at all times with your team and your show Consistency and authenticity are going to be super easy, which is going to make it really easy to keep up the passion that I already know that you have because you're making a freaking indie podcast. That's blood, sweat, tears, soul, and money. Okay? You have the passion. Make it work for you. When you reach out to people, be authentic. Don't send them a link right away. Just tell them thanks for the tiny little piece of support. Go from there. I think we're running up against the end of my segment. So... If I may, because I don't want to fail to practice what I preach. If you haven't, follow me on Twitter at Sudden But. Follow me on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. Check out the Sudden But Inevitable Rebop Season 2. We're going through Cowboy Bebop every Friday night at 8.30 Mountain Time at YouTube.com slash Podcast or at Facebook.com slash Podcast or at TwistMyArmPodcast.com slash streams. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been... Captain Boot Scoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. your host, Jesse. And I want to say thank you to everybody who has been participating today in hashtag TMA PodCon 21. And the biggest thank you, of course, goes to my friend Josh, the head of the Twist My Arm Network and the host of the Twist My Arm Podcast. Thank you, Josh, for making sure all of the wheels are turning and all the levers are pulling so that everybody out there can get what it is that we have to share. 